0: CHAPTER 47, MARTIN'S MISCALCULATION Martin Nesson followed behind Mr. Cranley as they made their way from the entryway of the house into the adjacent kitchen. When they'd arrived, Nesson had confirmed that this indeed was the house that Marcus Ingram had returned to the night that Nesson had followed him. Cranley had parked just down the street and before entering had circled the entirety of the house from the outside in hopes of catching a glimpse of Ingram if he was home. No car sat in the driveway, though the attached garage looked large enough to park a vehicle inside. If they were lucky, they might catch Ingram while he wasn't home and have a chance to hide inside and wait for him to return. But there'd be no way of knowing his whereabouts for sure without going in. So now they walked through the eerily silent house as Nesson whispered silent prayers that Ingram wouldn't be there or return as they were snooping around. Upon reaching the kitchen, Cranley turned and looked at Nesson he pointed to his ear as if he could hear something and then waved Nesson away frantically. Unsure what to do, Martin shuffled quickly back into the hall, hiding on the other side of a wall that separated the two rooms. The house went silent again. What was going on? Had Cranley heard something? Martin Nesson's heart beat wildly as the adrenaline rushed through his body. And where had Cranley just disappeared to? What if Ingram had seen them coming up to the house and he was waiting for them in here? Had they walked into a trap? A loud bang rang out in the next room, followed by another loud crack and pop. It sounded like fireworks or a bomb, Nesson thought. He instinctively dropped to the floor and then heard a moan and a crash, followed by a number of thumps that got successively quieter. Gunfire, Nesson suddenly realized. Those were shots, but whose shots? Martin Nesson crouched unmoving against the wall, paralyzed with fear as he heard footsteps slowly shuffling around the kitchen. Then... He heard them getting louder, heading for the hallway. They were coming for him. Nesson closed his eyes. He was too afraid to see who it was approaching. Martin, the voice said. Martin, get up. It's all right. It was Cranley, Nesson realized, before even opening his eyes. You're safe now. You can open your eyes, he said. Ingram is dead. Martin's eyes shot open, and he looked up in disbelief. Just like that. I caught him coming up the stairs from the basement. I think he heard us entering the kitchen, Cranley said. Come on, I think I know where Penderwinkle is. Cranley extended his hand, pulling Nesson back up to his feet and then headed back into the kitchen. Nesson followed close behind and then he saw it, the spot where Ingram had entered the room. He could put it together more clearly now. Ingram entered up the steps, was shot a number of times and then fell down the stairs. That must have been the loud, dull thumping sound he'd heard at the end. As he surveyed the kitchen, he could see evidence of the scuffle. There was a spatter of blood on the doorframe, and a small pool of blood on the floor. And there was a gun, Marcus's gun, laying on its side a few feet to the left of the door. He must have dropped it when he was shot, before falling backward down into the basement. The whole thing made Nesson's stomach turn. He was always a bit squeamish when it came to blood. As if noticing this, Cranley rested a hand on his shoulder. Take a breath, Nesson. The worst is over. All we've got to do now is find Perry Pendewinkle, and then this will all be over, he said, comfortingly. Nesson nodded in agreement. Almost over, Nesson thought, as he watched Cranley turn and walk down the stairs leading to the basement. "'Nesson took a deep breath and followed after him. Chapter forty eight Penderwinkle's Pursuers Perry Pendewinkle heard the shots being fired. He heard the groans, the sound of someone falling. Then he saw Marcus Ingram's body roll down the basement stairs, landing at his feet, dead on arrival. Someone else was coming down after him. He could hear their footsteps, first in the kitchen, and then as they made their way down the creaky wooden steps. Perry saw the feet, then waist, and finally the face of Rupert Cranley making his way down the steps. He appeared, pistol at the ready searching the room warily but after a few seconds he relaxed and turned his gaze to perry perry old boy he said with a smile we've found you at last as if on cue another figure could be seen making its way down the stairs to penderwinkle's great astonishment it was none other than martin nesson his poor pitiful colleague from the office when the man saw perry's face he rushed down the steps and ran to perry "'hugging him enthusiastically in his chair. "'Still tied to the chair, "'Penderwinkle was unable to avoid the blubbering man's embrace, "'and so sat in his chair "'and endured the man's tearful admiration and affection. "'Thank you, Martin,' he said as he eyed Cranley, "'who looked distracted. "'Or maybe he was deep in thought. "'Perry could not tell, but something was on the man's mind. "'I thought you'd been killed, Mr. Penderwinkle. "'I thought you'd be gone forever.' And we searched for you it was dangerous so dangerous and scary at times nissen said his thoughts coming out almost before he could form sentences and there was philippa his sister she told me she was british intelligence and told me about you that you were a spy a british agent perry but she betrayed us and then ingram i followed him followed him here and i met mr cranley and we worked together all right then nissen cranley said softly let's give perry some time to breathe "'There'll be plenty of time to explain everything later.' "'Of course, of course,' Nesson said as he stepped back. "'I suppose you probably want to get out of here, don't you? "'Let's get you out of these ropes, Mr. Penderwinkle.' "'Nesson proceeded to work on untying Perry's wrists from the back of his chair. "'Rupert,' Perry said, "'what on God's green earth are you doing on this side of the Atlantic?' "'Surely you weren't sent all the way over here to look for Marcus. "'It's a bit below your station at this point.' perry said with a laugh and tell me you didn't come all the way over here on my account cranley smiled politely no perry i gave up field work years ago you're quite right Ah, here we are nesson said with delight as he untied the knot holding perry's wrists to the chair you should be free now mr penderwinkle nesson pulled the ropes off him as perry stretched his arms high over his head then rested them on his lap my thanks martin "'he said, and then turned back to Cranley. "'You still haven't explained why you're here, Rupert. "'It makes little sense for the service to send you. "'I mean no offence, but you're hardly the best person for a rescue mission.' "'Cranley and Penderwinkle exchanged an uncomfortable look after this statement, "'and Nesson could sense a sudden air of uneasiness in the room as Penderwinkle continued. "'Unless, of course, you're here for a different reason,' Penderwinkle said, his voice taking on a more serious tone. Tell me, Rupert, did you come all this way to find Marcus Ingram, or me? Cranley was no longer smiling, his warm, friendly demeanor now gone, replaced with one that was far colder and more serious. He looked at Perry, sizing him up before he responded. Martin Nesson stood in the awkward silence, unable to deduce what was going on between the two men. Both of them looked anything but happy. But they'd found Ingram and saved Perry. Their mission was a success. Again we discussed this in the car? Nesson asked. We've done what we came for. Mr Penderwinkle's free, and Marcus is not a problem any more. Besides, this house gives me the creeps, and I don't trust Philippa Ingram as far as I can throw her, even if she is tied up in the back of that car, he said, though he could tell it was falling on deaf ears. Martin, Perry said. "'I'm afraid our friend Mr. Cranley has other plans for us.' "'I'm afraid I don't follow, Perry. What are you talking about?' Nissan asked. "'A secret. A secret that's been kept for decades. "'It involves Rupert Cranley, and my wife, and me,' Perry explained. "'Although I only just put the pieces together. "'The man's delusional, Martin,' Cranley said. "'He's not slept in days, and he's not thinking clearly.' "'When did you learn, Cranley, that i discovered Marjorie's secret? "'I've always wondered. "'Did she ever suspect, or was it really only in the end "'that she realised I'd known for so long?' Perry asked. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' Cranley said. "'But I think you do,' Perry shot back. "'And so does Bernie Dotrice. Dotrice, Nesson blurted out. "'You spoke to her, but she's gone missing.' Penderwinkle's face registered genuine surprise as he turned his head to look at Cranley, who returned his look with a haughty grin. Missing, is she? Penderwinkle replied. Murdered, more likely. Murdered? said Nesson. Is that right, Rupert? All not deny that I'd had the same thought myself when I saw her. She started asking questions, questions that I didn't like. She didn't believe the tale I'd told her and didn't think Marcus capable of such an act. She was right, of course, and so, instead of getting rid of her, I told her the truth. Well, most of the truth. I told her of Marjorie's betrayal, her work for the KGB, which I'd unwittingly learned about. I told her about a night in which I'd heard Marjorie speaking with others in Russian, and how I'd recognized one of the voices but could never place it. And as we talked, she told me that you, Rupert, had called her. I thought that to be quite strange. You were calling around for me, too. I always wondered who it could be that was working with Marjorie. It must have been someone within our department, I knew. Especially towards the end, when Marjorie's memory was less and less reliable. She started making mistakes, and I certainly could not catch all of them. I think she needed someone else to cover her tracks. That would need to be someone who she worked closely with. Perhaps someone who was her direct superior... Well, that would be ideal. Everything she did, every document, every report filed, every mission brief, went through you, Rupert. That makes you the obvious choice. When I think of it now, it seems almost obvious. But when it came to Marjorie, I was never too good at discerning the truth. Nesson couldn't believe what he was hearing. First, that Marcus was not responsible for Marjorie Penderwinkle's death. Second, that she was a Soviet spy, and third, Perry was accusing Mr. Cranley of being her accomplice. If Perry's accusation was true, then Cranley would likely have other plans for them. Surely there's another explanation for this, Perry, Nissen tried. Cranley's been a great ally. Tell him it's not true, Mr. Cranley. He must have it wrong. Rupert Cranley could only give Martin Nissen an apologetic look before he raised his gun and fired. The bullet hit Perry Penderwinkle in the chest... And he collapsed into a heap on the floor. It seemed that Rupert Cranley had nothing more to say to Perry Penderwinkle. And now the man lay face down on the floor, a pool of blood starting to form underneath his chest. Nissen was shell-shocked. Only moments before, Cranley had come down the stairs a hero. His mission to save Perry accomplished. Now hero turned villain, Cranley stood with a gun in his hand, ready, no doubt, to shoot Nissen. "'I don't understand, Mr. Cranley. Why did you have to kill him after all this? He was your friend,' Nesson pleaded. "'Perry Penderwinkle is no friend of mine,' he said. "'Everything he said was true. If I had thought he knew my or Marjorie's true identities, I would have killed him years ago. "'There are no friends in our line of work, Martin Nesson, only allies and enemies, and Perry Penderwinkle was my enemy. "'Let him live, and he would have me killed,' Cranley said.' Fear gripped Nesson as he listened to Mr. Cranley, Rupert, as Perry had called him. This man that he trusted, that had saved his life and helped him find Perry, was now going to kill him. He'd used Nesson until he didn't need him any more. Are you going to kill me, Mr. Cranley? asked Nesson, hoping beyond hope that the man was capable of even the smallest bit of compassion. Yes, he replied flatly. I've no other choice. It's time for me to tie up loose ends. So this was it, then. Martin Nesson was going to be murdered, like Marjorie Penderwinkle, like Marcus Ingram, and like Perry Penderwinkle himself. It was a murder that started all this business, and it was a murder that would end it. But I don't understand one thing. Perry said that Marcus didn't murder Marjorie Penderwinkle. But why would you kill her if you were working together? Asked Nesson. Ha! "'laughed Cranley. "'Don't be ridiculous. "'It wasn't me that murdered Marjorie. "'It was that man lying on the floor behind you, Perry Penderwinkle. "'I think it all finally came to a head. "'He couldn't keep it from her any more that he knew her true identity. "'He told her and he killed her. "'Whether it was out of spite or self-defence, I don't know. "'But if you're looking for Marjorie's killer, "'look no further than Perry Penderwinkle,' he said with finality. "'And now I'm afraid the time for talking is over.' I thank you, Martin Nesson, for your help, I really do, he said. Nesson was staring down the barrel of Rupert Cranley's gun. Out of the corner of his eye, he could see Perry lying dead upon the ground just behind him. A few feet in front of Nesson, another body lay dead, that of Marcus Ingram. And now the time had come for Martin Nesson to join those already dead. He closed his eyes as he saw Cranley's finger hovering over the trigger. I really couldn't have done it without you said cranley and then nesson heard the gunfire